Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God the Father and from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God, which we will consider today, is our epistle lesson. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. There we read verses 4 through 11 as follows in Jesus' name. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. These are the words. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, dear fellow redeemed, once quite a few years ago, my brother and I spent a few days camping high in the mountains along the shore of a lake that faced an enormous glacier. One evening, a rainstorm descended on the lake. It looked as though an enormous dish was being tipped over in the clouds and the rain and the wind and the lightning and the thunder seemed to pour down the glacier right onto the lake. Though that storm made us cold and wet and somewhat grumpy, the approaching storm still was a beautiful, awesome sight to see. But at dawn, we agreed that we saw a sight that was even more beautiful. For those clouds had moved along, and the sun had come up and was now peering over the glacier, and the tiny mountain flowers all around us among the rocks were opening their petals. Both the evening storm and the morning calm were beautiful and glorious. But the morning sight was more glorious. Here in our text today, St. Paul speaks of two beautiful and glorious things. Here he describes both the law of God and the gospel of God. Both are glorious, but the gospel has the greater glory. He writes, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? The law is glorious. It is glorious if for no other reason than 
that it came to us from God, who is glorious. The law of God is not like some school dress code or littering ordinance invented by human beings to try to control each other. The law is nothing less than the expressed thought and will of the creator of the whole universe. When we look around and we note just how vast and beautiful the world is, and we consider that we have received a direct communication from its maker, how could that not be glorious? And so when the law of God was given, it came with great glory. St. Paul here reminds us that the site there on Mount Sinai where God came to Moses was so glorious the Israelites couldn't even bear to look at it. Its glory actually terrified them so that they begged Moses to go up on the mountain and retrieve the commandments for them. And returning, Moses' face glowed. They were startled as it beamed with a divine radiance. When my brother and I started off to camp up in the mountains, a friend remarked to us that the mountains are unforgiving. If you make a mistake, if you get lost, if you should get injured or sick, it can be deadly because you're so far from getting the help you need. And the same thing is true of the law. It's glorious, it's beautiful, because it comes to us from God, but it's deadly. Paul here calls it the ministry of death. He says the letter kills. That letter, that is the commandments inscribed into the hard stone tablets on Mount Sinai are instruments of death. And that is so for this reason, that not one of us, no person, can fulfill perfectly what God there demands. And so every person stands under it, condemned to death. The law, though something good and glorious, makes us guilty. When we consider our lives, our speech patterns, our thought life, our activities over against what God tells us and what he forbids us in the commandments, then we realize we've continually over and over again disobeyed him. Writing to the Romans, the apostle said, I would not have known sin except through the law. Suppose you're walking through a government building in Washington, D.C., you're wandering freely down the hallways, casually entering into the offices and rooms, looking at their contents, reading some of the material left on the desks. And then you happen to notice a sign informing you that you are actually in a restricted area and that trespassers will be arrested and prosecuted. Then you would realize you've broken the law and that you're now in some trouble. That's what the commandments do. They show us our sins and they frighten us, but they don't offer us a way out of the building. They don't offer us God's forgiveness. That's why, again, Paul calls the law the ministry of death. And in another epistle he wrote, once I was alive apart from the law, 
But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. The glorious and condemning power of God's law is a fading thing. Its glory doesn't last. During that night of the mountain storm, we made a lot of use of our flashlights. They allowed us to see at least a few feet in front of our tent so that we could check to see if the water on the lake was rising and getting closer to us. But in the bright morning, our flashlights lost their usefulness. The sunshine all around us made them unnecessary. So also, the function of the law is not permanent. It shows us our sin and our lost condition before God, but once it has done its work and caused us to see our sin and our need for God's love and salvation, then the greater and more glorious message must take over. While the law of God is glorious, secondly today then we say the gospel has the greater glory. The gospel is more glorious because where the law condemns us and creates despair in our hearts, the gospel brings pardon and confidence to the sinner who repents. Paul writes in our text, And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God where the law reminds us that our best works are insufficient and incapable of moving us towards salvation, the gospel tells us that God forgives us even our most shameful sins because he has punished Jesus Christ for every one of them. Assured of God's mercy in Christ, we can have the confidence now to stand before him, the confidence to speak this good news to others. Where the law demands utmost perfection so that no one can carry out its demands to God's satisfaction, the gospel cheerfully invites faith so that even a tiny baptized newborn or an old hardened career criminal can believe it and be saved. Again, Paul says that God has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So where the law condemns and kills, the gospel pardons and works in us new life because that's what the Holy Spirit arrives on. That's the message the spirit works through. So Paul wrote, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Where the law peels away the veneer of our own manufactured good works and shows us the ugliness of our sins before God, where the law reveals God's wrath over our sin, the gospel brings us the righteousness which alone can save us. So Paul says in our text, for if the ministry of condemnation, 
That is, the law had glory. The ministry of righteousness, the gospel, exceeds much more in glory. The preaching of the gospel not only tells the sinner how he or she may become righteous, innocent before God, it actually imparts and places upon us that righteousness of our Lord Jesus. The blamelessness that we lack is given us as a gift. Though we have nothing good in us to offer him, God credits our empty accounts with the righteousness of his son, who for us did obey the law perfectly every day, and for us did offer himself into death on the cross as our replacement. And so in this same epistle, Paul said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the gospel, the good news of what our Savior has done, which the Holy Spirit uses to bring us to faith, use us to sustain us and keep us in the faith. By faith we accept and we wear, covered by the righteousness that God demands. For all of the glory of the Old Testament law and for all the majesty and drama which accompanied its passing down on Mount Sinai, by comparison with the gospel, it has no glory. Now why is it that the apostle felt the need to emphasize this point? In Corinth, in the early Christian church, there were some members who had come in and who were teaching and insisting that despite what Christ had done, a person still needed to keep all of the law's demands in order to be saved. In doing that, though, they placed sinners again under the sphere of the law's condemnation. They ignored the sacrifice Jesus made once for all to cancel out our debt accumulated under the law. In Romans, St. Paul wrote, Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The law God handed down through Moses was a glorious thing, but its glory didn't last. Our text concludes, for even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. The thunder stopped rolling on Mount Sinai. The lightning stopped flashing. The piercing sound of a trumpet went silent. And gradually the frightening radiance faded from the face of Moses. But the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ shines on and on. The gospel of our salvation through Christ is a perfect and finished product. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can alter it. In fact, Paul told the Galatians, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. The gospel and its glory are everlasting. Its effect will continue throughout all eternity. Those who trust in God's 
message, the good news of forgiveness for Jesus' sake, will live forever as the privileged citizens of heaven. The joy and the peace prevailing in heaven will never end. Both the law and the gospel are words and messages that come to us from God, and both of them thus are glorious. But the gospel has the greater glory. It creates life. It gives us the righteousness of Christ that we lack. It shines on us forever and ever. Always hear and believe the law. Don't shut your ears to it. Take it to heart. For it shows you and me our lost condition, our need for our Savior. But then hear and never let go of the gospel, for in believing it, you will be saved. Amen. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and shall be forevermore. Amen.